Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in, for downloading, giving us a listen. Very exciting times as, uh, well, exciting, but uh, but not, not to be long-lived, just a few days of minicamp for Gang Green. Mandatory workouts, mandatory practice for all players. No, uh, no, hold, no, no, no shows to be spoken of, and uh, just a just a whole lot of whole lot of positive vibes surrounding this team right now. Yes, I do know you will have the occasional miserable human being who cannot allow themselves a moment of joy, who will find reasons to to complain and and moan about this team. Uh, I understand this is not a this is a team that still has a long way to go, but at the same time they are at least in my view a lot better than people give them credit for, or at least they have the potential to be a lot better than you know than a lot of people think. We've talked about it, you know, covering multiple different position groups, individual players. Um, it's been a long off season; a lot's happened. Uh, I don't know how you look at this team across the board and don't see how they've improved. But the fact of the matter is they have. Minicamp is underway. So we're going to cover some of the storylines that we saw today through the Twitter sphere, thanks to the uh, those who cover the team live and in person. Uh, that'll be us come training camp time. Looking forward to that. But uh, for, the mean, for, the, for the time being, uh, we, along with the rest of the fans, will will count on those who are there with their eyewitness accounts and letting us know who looks good, who doesn't, and uh, talk about some of those storylines. Later today, we will be joined by, once again, by Christian Dyer of Metro. Christian, as you all know, covers the Jets, covers the Giants, and uh, and a little bit of New York Red Bulls uh, soccer. But uh, like he's kind enough to join us on a weekly basis to talk Jets news, even when there's not much news to talk, uh, to cover. So that'll be a little bit later in the show, starting off with some of what we've what we've seen through, through uh, again, through Twitter today, and uh, whether it be at ESPN or the news or the Post or whoever it may be, still uh, a lot of opinions on, what, on what's going on, a lot of observations, so... Let's go over a few of those, and I think one of you know the first thing that on everybody's mind, as per as per usual. So we'll get it out of the way, and we will cover it again a little bit later on with Christian. But uh, the quarterback situation, to me, right now, as 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 we get more reports on how things are looking, um, and I you know I've said before, I said earlier this off season that I wouldn't be at all surprised if Teddy Bridgewater the free agent addition from the Minnesota Vikings, if he were to find a way to beat out Josh McCown and, and win the starting job, it wouldn't surprise me. And if if you're listening to what's going on on the field, uh, especially Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, absolutely raving about the way Bridgewater looks, said he's moving around, he's kind of removed any doubt, um, he's answered any questions regarding that knee from his injury, which is, you know, two years Two years, two years ago, two years old now, um, and this is you know. Remember when the Jets signed Bridgewater initially? I know you know. This isn't to say that I was, you know, privy to any any information that you know anyone else wasn't outside of Florham Park. I didn't you know. Just looking at the way he was handled last year in Minnesota, I know that I'd said. I would be shocked if he wasn't a full go because of the fact that he was he was active for roughly half the season from Minnesota last year. Now, he only took a couple snaps late in the year, a couple handoffs through a pick. But uh, for much of the offseason, there was still a lot of talk that, you know, we don't know. We don't know if he's going to be ready. We don't know if Teddy's going to be ready. And I get that it was a serious knee injury, but we're talking about a knee injury that's two years old and a guy who was active for half the season last year. And I know there were some conflicting uh, quotes from GM Mike McCagnan and head coach Todd Bowles talking about how ready Bridgewater was. Mike McCagnan seemed to give the impression that Teddy was, you know, was doing just fine. 
whereas Todd Bowles was, was a bit more coy with his answers, wasn't up front, but there's some speculation as to, you know, whether or not Teddy Bridgewater would be ready when training camp started. And from the time he stepped on the field during the first OTAs uh, a few weeks ago, we've heard nothing but good things about how well he's moved around and how well he has thrown the ball. And I don't, you know, obviously no reason for me to change my uh, my statement that, that, you know, Bridgewater winning this starting job wouldn't be a surprise. But you have to start wondering, you know, as a young guy who's who's got two years of experience under his belt as a starter, who was a first-round draft pick and has proven he can play a little bit in the league, the Jets could find themselves in a, you know, everyone, myself included, has been sort of of the thought, you know, the the expectation that trading Teddy Bridgewater is a foregone conclusion. But at what point, or or can you dismiss the possibility of the Jets holding on to Teddy Bridgewater? Almost, if they they may not have a choice. If he if he comes out of the gate and plays well, and I'm pretty sure I, I may have even said this a a week or two ago, but I think. You know, hearing that he's having another really strong practice, um, another really strong session, just kind of brought it to my mind again. And I thought to myself, can you can you deal a guy, especially for a team that that hasn't had a quality quarterback, a quality young quarterback, in you know such a ridiculously long time? Are you in position to to move on from him without a proven quarterback behind him? You know, obviously Josh McCown, 37 years old. We all know, you know, the the excitement, the ante- the anticipation behind getting Sam Darnold under center. I get that. We all get that. But if you're Mike McCagnan and this guy's playing well, Teddy Bridgewater has you surprising some people, and maybe you're, you know, you're off to a four and one start, three and one start, maybe you know four and two even. Can you realistically say? Well, we're going we're gonna to ship this guy off, and especially if he's the reason behind uh, a strong start, a four and two. You know, as I've said, we we've seen that uh, the guy can play at the very least efficient football, and that was in year one and two. You know, sometimes sometimes these young guys they spend that year or two playing more conservative game manager type football, but a Teddy Bridgewater guy, you cut him loose a little bit. And and find that he starts to to play at a high level. It's it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be a very interesting situation for Mike McCagnan and the Jets because you know there's the party that feels like you have your future in Darnold, and if Bridgewater plays that well, say Bridgewater's lighting it up, lighting it up, can you consider the possibility of maybe getting a one first rounder for Teddy Bridgewater? I mean. I, I would imagine it wouldn't be out of the beyond the realm of possibility, but it's uh, for a team that's needed a quarterback for so long. You imagine the fallout if Teddy were to be dealt and uh, continue to play at a high level, and then Donald struggles. Um, that's something none of us want to see. But as we know, anything's possible with the way these things can play out. So we'll see, but as of as of this moment, as of right now, Jets fans have to be very excited about what we're hearing with the quarterbacks. Uh, Donald had some more reps with the ones today. He's been getting, you know, seems pretty consistently seeing more and more reps with the starters, and this is kind of this is what Jets fans hope for, you know, to to see him to see him at least be given a, a fair shot, and whether or not he wins the starting job remains to be seen. But it's it's refreshing to see that uh, it's not just lip service. You know, I always reference the the training camp with the uh, the Geno Smith Michael Vick year um, when everyone was told it was going to be a competition. Now this is a little different because Vick was at the end of his career, but Geno was just atrocious, um, and we were told it was a quarterback competition. And everything we were hearing was saying that Geno Smith was getting eighty percent of the reps in practice. Um, so it was clearly, I mean, call it call it a uh, call it a quarterback competition if you want, but you know anyone with any degree of fairness would have to understand that you know that it wasn't that it wasn't that at all. So 
anyway, that that covers that for now. We'll move on to. Uh, I'm just gonna scroll through here. We're gonna we're gonna look at kind of popping through, jumping around a little bit. Various stories that are coming out of camp, some more serious than others. Uh, but I, I would say that actually the next thing I do want to cover, because it's probably the next biggest development from what we what came out of Florin Park today, and that's that Quincy Inunua was looked to be a full go, and for the first time this off season during team sessions was uh was working with a helmet on not a not wearing his baseball cap which is what he's been doing up until now of course we all know he had the the neck injury last season that required surgery knocked him out for the year he says he's feeling great he said he was you know he said weeks ago he was ready to go and it appears he is and as we've discussed many times the, uh, the wide receiver talent on this roster has the, the potential to be absolutely phenomenal. And Quincy Noon was a big reason for that. So you have to, as a Jets fan, you know, proceed with caution. But uh, there's a lot of reason for optimism regarding this receiver group, even given the fact that, it, you know, Terrell Pryor, the free agent addition from the Washington, Red, Washington Redskins, We've talked about what he would bring to the table in terms of his uh, his game-breaking speed, um, excellent height, pairing him with Robbie Anderson, you know, one guy on either side. We've discussed that stuff, and he's been he's been out with an ankle injury. We've talked about that, but even if he's out, even if he can't go, you know, if Quincy's a full go, and you've got Robbie Anderson, you've got Jermaine Curse, you've got you know, <coughs> excuse me. Chad Anson looks to be coming on, and I do apologize. <clears throat> that time of year, a little bit raspier than usual today, so I do apologize for that. But that's uh, hearing the Quincy Noon was running around uh, at a you know at an increased pace, increased tempo, and uh, and you know full gear on. Well, not full gear, but uh, these are light padded practices. But the fact he's in his helmet with the rest of the guys is a, a very good sign step in the right direction. So that's something to be very encouraged about. Um, Jordan Jenkins missed a little bit of time last week um, during the last set of the previous set of OTAs. He had a sore shoulder, nothing to get too excited about. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's mini camp people. I, I saw an article the other day with people saying, you know, Oh, look at the jets. The, the injuries are already piling up. It's like, come on, man. It's, it's, you're talking OTAs. The season is like a million years away. Um, at least it feels like it is, and you have people talking about players sitting down because they have a you know a sore shoulder, as if you know it's it's going to keep them out for any you know unless the team is lying and there's something more severe. If we take them at their word, there really isn't a whole lot you're going to see that's going to you know it's going to impact uh, the availability of these guys. So it's not something you know I'd really worry about at this point. But um, Harry Anderson or Henry Anderson rather, we've talked about. Quite a bit this offseason, the defensive end, the former Indianapolis Colt, who was traded for on draft day for basically for what was a seventh rounder. Uh, not a bad deal when you consider the fact that Anderson's proven he could play in the league and the Jets had a need for some veteran depth along with defensive line. He paired today, uh, at least with the starters, to open things up. He was the, uh, the starting defensive end opposite Leonard Williams. And look for that to be, I think, I think in an effort to to keep guys fresh, you know, the Jets did a nice job in in, in adding Anderson, drafting Shepard. You've still got McClendon. You've still got Pennell. you got, you know, enough bodies along that D-line that uh, if, if the young guys pan out, the, the, the vets are going to get a breather and, and hopefully keep these guys fresh. And <clears throat> let's face it, hopefully the offense is good enough, that, uh, which they should be, but that these guys aren't spending too much time on the field because that's been a problem in years past. This year, obviously, was uh, more on the defense because the offensive production was much better than a lot of people anticipated. Uh, Chad Hansen, hearing his name again, it popped up as a guy, you know, having himself another good practice. And really just he's probably the one name that's consistently popping up. Every OTA now in minicamp from various writers, clearly not one or two people that like him. There's a lot of people raving about this guy. And it's really, 
you know, hard not to root for this guy because, let's face it, you know, the Jets need some of these mid-late round guys to pan out. He was the fourth rounder last year. Uh, at the time, a lot of there were a fair number of people who were critical with the pick. I didn't love the pick. Um, and as I believe I said at the time, um, kind of similar to Jordan Leggett, I was probably a little harder on the Leggett pick. Um, it just felt like there wasn't a need to go, you know, receiver back-to-back as they did with Stewart and Hanson, given all the other needs they had on the roster. There were plenty of gaps to fill. But now it looks looks at least for the time being, I mean, even stretching back to last season and, and even looking now, it seems as if Hanson is in a position where he's he's passed our area Stewart on the depth chart. And as of this moment, you know, we're seeing his name a whole lot more than we are of our Darius Stewart. And I was high on both guys. You know, again, Hanson didn't love the pick because of not having the need, but watching what he's able to do in college, getting open deep down the field. He's one of those guys that he plays faster than his 40 time. He, you know, he ran in the four fives, but he didn't seem to have a, a great deal of trouble getting open deep down the field. And our Darius Stewart, of course, Loved his physicality. Talked a lot about how I was looking forward to seeing him and um, him and Quincy Nunwa on the field at the same time, <clears throat> because both receivers bring a you know they both play a, a physical brand of football, which is nice to have you know a pair of guys on the field at the same time who aren't afraid to to give as good as they can get when it comes to to matching up against defenses and taking big shots. So hopefully you know hopefully we see him start to emerge because. As we know, this this receiver room is extremely crowded, and this is this is a time where someone you know some of these guys have to emerge. Some of these guys are going to have to show enough to to find a way to stick. And honestly, they have so many receivers that I, I wouldn't be shocked if they carried seven again this year, as they did a couple seasons ago for most of the year, just because of the fact that you know Terrell Pryor, whether he's healthy or not. Um, you know, he, he's a guy who's he's on a one-year deal. So unless he goes absolutely nuts and earns himself a big, big extension, there there's, you know, a, there's a spot on the roster you know already. As, as long as Hanson or Stewart come along, then there won't be a need to, to give Pryor big money if he plays well. And, again, you know, just as is the case with Bridgewater, you hope all these guys play well and Mike McCagan has some big decisions to make. Because the, you know the the more the more big contributions they get from multiple players, uh, the better they should be. The more you know, maybe you have a couple trade chips you didn't anticipate. So it'll be worth monitoring throughout the season. And as long as things hold up up front on the O line, which you know that remains to be seen, they're you know the quarterback, whoever it is, whether it's Arnold, McCown, Bridgewater, uh, whoever's under center should uh, should have plenty of targets to choose from. And I uh, also wanted to touch on every camp, these teams will bring in tryout players, you know, often guys with uh, multiple seasons of the NFL or multiple uh, pro seasons under their belt. Uh, you see a few rookies sprinkled in. So um, a few names worth mentioning. Uh, one name that will be – well, a couple of these names might be familiar, depending on, you know, just how, how closely you follow this team on a day-to-day basis. But one guy, the first name that jumped out to me, not because of what he's done in the pros, but because he was a guy that I really liked as a, a mid to late round project out of the draft, uh, out of Stony Brook a couple of years ago. That's linebacker Victor Ochi. Um, again, Stony Brook product, New York kid. Some of you may remember he signed with the Jets a couple seasons ago, uh, late in the season, played in two games, I believe. I'm pretty sure he played in the Baltimore game. Could be wrong about that, but I feel like I remember seeing him at that game. And didn't register any stats, you know, just played a few handful of snaps here and there. He actually signed on with Kansas City um, after being let go by the Jets that year during Kansas City's playoff run and uh, was looking for some work, was, you know, out of a job this offseason, and he comes back in with the Jets. So what makes Ochi interesting, clearly the Jets liked him because they signed him once already. He was able to get to the quarterback quite a bit in college, but a big jump from a small school, of course. But when you look, you know, when you look at the guys they brought in, you have to believe he's he's one of the guys that'll have a shot to make this roster, 
given the fact that there is no proven outside presence on this defense outside of, uh, you know, Jordan Jenkins. They still need somebody on that opposite side. So Ochi should get some run. Uh, a little smaller, not a, not a huge guy for the position. He's 6'1", comes in at 240, but again, very productive college player. Uh, name most of you probably know, most of you are familiar with Courtney Upshaw, former Baltimore Raven, Alabama Crimson Tide product. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a seven-year pro. Um, hasn't haven't he's got plenty of experience, plenty plenty of uh, reps under his belt, but not a guy who's going to get to the quarterback. Only seven sacks in 90 career games. So he's a guy who's managed to stick around and and start a bunch of games in the NFL but hasn't really been able to bring the, the traits that the Jets really should be looking for, which is someone who can get, to the, can get to the quarterback. And, yes, I understand that this time of year, you know, I, I always I think it's great this time of year, and you do see this a little bit from some fans, um, the rosters are at 90. I, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago because it was driving me crazy because the rosters are at 90, every team – it's gonna, you know, you're gonna load up your roster. Everyone knows you got 37 guys you're gonna cut, and for some reason there are fans that get upset at some of the names they see, um, as if there's some possibility that teams are gonna be signing perennial pro bowlers and starters and elite players at this time of the year. It's, you know, these are a lot of it is camp bodies, but a lot of it too is to bring in guys you're a little bit familiar with, and you want to get a closer look up close, see if a guy can find a way to make your roster. That's kind of the position that Courtney Upshaw is in right now. Ochi, as I mentioned, uh, they had him last year. Another guy they Jets had for a little bit last year, Dan Williams, wide receiver out of Jackson State. And I don't have it in front of me, but I believe he was out. He uh, he went on IR with a concussion, if I'm not mistaken, or was was let go following a concussion. I'm uh, having a hard time remembering exactly what his situation was. But oddly enough, even with all the receivers the Jets have, I think there's Currently 14 on the roster, give or take a couple. And of the seven trial players they have in camp, four of them are receivers. Now the most interesting uh, among that group is two of them are rookies, Phil Mayhew and Patrick Smith. Patrick Smith out of Tennessee Strait and Mayhew's out of Memphis. But uh, Kamar Aiken, six-year pro, another former Baltimore Raven. Um, and uh, I say another because if, if I'm not mistaken, I think Ochi was uh, originally a Baltimore Raven. I could be wrong about that. Um, but, yes, Upshaw was. And now you have Kamar Aiken, who is an interesting guy. A couple years ago, not not that long ago, uh, 2015, I believe, he had himself 944 yards receiving and five touchdowns. So he's showing that he can play a little bit. Uh, but let's face it, for any any undrafted guy or any walk-on or camp invite, wide receiver is going to have a heck of a time making this roster because there are some good ones, and, you know, we, we've sort of discussed that ad nauseum. J.J. Uh, Wilcox was in camp. He's the, the, uh, the DB, the safety, who we talked a little bit about. He's a guy who you expect to take Montez Miles' spot, at least for the time being. A uh, big hitter, but can play, play in coverage, play center field a little bit better than what you get with Miles. So, he, you know, he's a possible upgrade in that spot. And he's a guy that could end up, you know, taking that roster spot and running with it. Um, but at the same time, I know for me personally, I'm, I'm really hoping to see Doug Middleton come on and find a way to win that job because, you know, young guy, big upside, who can do a little bit of everything, looked like he was, you know, he was a guy who was going to have a really good chance to make the roster last year. But that, of course, didn't happen as he went on injured reserve early in camp. So he got a tough break. And, uh, again, versatile guy, small school, but the Jets have liked him uh, for some time now. They've kept him around for a couple of years. Um, and I mentioned Terrell Pryor earlier, uh, uh, Zach Braziller, uh, out of, from, sorry, from the New York Post, reported that Pryor was in a walking boot today. So, you know, he'll obviously be rather inactive uh, over the coming you know, the next few days, and really nobody knows. We haven't heard any word from the team what the uh, what the chances are. Excuse me, what the chances are of him being ready for training camp for uh, when training camp kicks off. But uh, but you know, time will tell. 
And as we saw today, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, Sam Darnold got some starting reps today. A few of the writers tweeted that he uh, had a big hookup with Robbie Anderson on a 45-yard touchdown pass. It was noted that the ball was slightly underthrown. Anderson had to adjust a little bit. Something, God, something that guy should be all too, all too accustomed to at this point. I think we've all, we've beaten that to death. And I've got to comment on how it obviously wasn't nearly as bad last year as it was in year one in terms of his ability to, in terms of the Jets quarterback's ability to get Robbie Anderson the football. <clears throat> they were able to, you know, Josh McCown was obviously able to do it much better last year than Ryan Fitzpatrick was the year before. And, of course, Bryce Petty, um, who regressed from year one, had a really difficult time finding a way to get him the ball. Um, just saw this tweet, and I saw it earlier, and I think I mentioned, just wanted to pass it along, sort of verbatim, and uh, and give the the, uh, the breakdown or the, this one particular opinion from uh, from Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. And he says in the tweet, he says, I don't want to overreact here, but Teddy Bridgewater looks great, all caps, great. Um, solid pocket presence, making good decisions, and 11-on-11 drills. It's early, but he's been impressive every time I've seen him. And I do believe somebody else said earlier in the day that, that it may have been Manish Mehta who basically said that uh, at this point it's safe to say the next test for Bridgewater is going to be real contact because he's done enough in OTAs and now just one day of minicamp to show that he's recovered. So now it's going to be some live action and some, some physicality and, and see how he responds there. Sounds like the quarterbacks were, were mixing it up a little bit. Everyone got some run with the ones, but it sounded as if McCown and Darnold got the majority. Bridgewater did get some later in practice. So everywhere uh, up and down the depth chart, guys were getting some run with the ones. Which is which is good to hear. You also also hearing that uh, Trenton Cannon, another rookie, rookie running back who earlier in camp was, uh, or sorry, earlier this uh, off season during OTAs was used as a uh, was got a look as a punt returner, where he didn't really do that a whole lot at Virginia State, his alma mater, but he's gotten some run back there, as well as uh, Andre Roberts, Eli McGuire. Um, and, of course, as you would expect, Lucky Whitehead, that according to uh, Connor Hughes of The Athletic. So a few different options back there. And, and let's face it, punt returner is somewhere that the Jets have been pretty weak for a while, and it would, uh, it would behoove them to find a way to, you know, to fix the, that. That's ailed that's them for quite a while. They haven't had a, a quality punt returner in seemingly forever. The best they could do the last few years was put Jeremy Curley back there and ask him to, to fair catch it because no game-breaking ability as a returner, but uh, they trusted his hands, and that's all. That's what it came down to. And in, in regards to Cannon, with the, the lack of experience there, that was one observation from, again, Connor Hughes of the, the Athletic in saying that he feels like Cannon looked much more comfortable fielding punts, as you would hope with him seeing increased reps or, you know, getting more experience back there. You would imagine he's, uh, he's doing as much as he can to improve because – as a late-round pick with a few running backs on this roster who have a chance to make it. Uh, Cannon's not really a lock, but you would have to imagine that given his speed and the fact he is a you know a young pick, that they're going to give him every opportunity to make the roster. So hopefully he's doing enough work to take advantage of that. And it sounds, you know, sounds that, like according to uh, Connor Rogers that at least there's, there's enough work going on that there's a noticeable improvement as a punt returner and another player, another young rookie pick who a lot of people were really high on, um, you know, fans were excited about the pick once they, once they did a little homework on him. Cause yes, another small school guy that I'm, I have a hard time believing uh, that a lot of people had this guy on their radar, but Perry Nickerson, he had a, had himself an interception today on a Sam Donald pass that was intended for Jordan Leggett. So, that's you know that's another positive sign because the Jets do need somebody to start stepping up in that spot as well. You know we've talked about the 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 lack of uh, talent as a at a, a pass rusher. Uh, I've said all along the Jets you know slot corner is another spot they really need to look at because I know Buster Screen is always referred to as a slot guy, but to me that's that's not his uh that's not his his, his forte. Buster Screen is better suited on the outside. And the Jets would be much better off if Nickerson 
uh, found a way to, you know, to, to win that job at some point during the season. And if not Nickerson, <clears throat> excuse me, if not Nickerson, as as we discussed a few weeks ago, um, I talked with Christian when he was on with us, Xavier Coleman, the second year undrafted free agent out of Portland State, who, you know, again, this is this is the thing where sometimes you kind of read the tea leaves and see how high a, a team really is on a player. And I think with Coleman, you saw that last year. You saw where, you know, as Todd Bowles said recently, and the old saying goes, can't make the club if you're in the tub. And that's not always true because the reality of the situation is that last year, that's exactly what Xavier, what Xavier Coleman did for the vast majority of preseason. Didn't see any live reps till the final preseason game. And uh, he made the roster. I mean, practice squad guy for a while. <clears throat> Again, I apologize. Um, practice squad guy for a little while. Got bumped up to the active roster, and unfortunately he was injured again um, in his one game, but uh, spent the rest of the year on IR and is back again with the team this preseason or this offseason. So a couple of different bodies there, but Nickerson was a guy who had a, an interception today. Uh, looked, looked good from what we're hearing. And that 4-3-2 speed, I mean, you can't tell me as a fan Knowing that having a guy back there in your secondary with that type of uh, with that type of ability, because you know the Jets over the past several years haven't been very good at forcing turnovers. Um, it certainly would be nice. Certainly would be nice <clears throat> if there was a change there, and if we were seeing some turnovers generated from guys who can make something happen uh, with the ball in their hands. Jamal Adams, another one, as he enters his second season, he's a guy who ran a pedestrian forty at the combine and then ran a blazing 4-3-3 at his pro day. Probably, in all reality, you're probably somewhere in the middle. But even if he's in that 4-4 range, you know, that safety spot, see some balls get picked off by those guys. And uh, and you could see some 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 big plays for this defense. It's exactly, it's exactly what they need. And another name that, uh, that has popped up quite a bit, quite a bit in camp, definitely more so than last year. Um, a guy I mentioned earlier today, Jordan Leggett, the second-year player out of Clemson. He uh, missed pretty much all of last year. I want to say he appeared in one game that was predominantly special teams um, with just a knee injury that kept – kept. it was a recurring injury that every time we heard he looked like he was on the mend and coming along, he was uh, he would end up back on the shelf. Finally, Jets, the Jets decided to bite the bullet and put him on IR. And – I was watching some uh, some Clemson games the other day, or a Clemson game, and then uh, another couple of highlights of him. And, man, you forget how, how big that guy stepped up in some big games for them. And uh, just sort of a clutch guy who, you know, elevated his play when the, when the, when the lights got brighter. So, I mean, that's always a, a positive trait. You know, who doesn't want to hear that a young guy who seems to, who seems to you know, rise to the occasion. And even even with Chris Herndon on the roster, there's there's a few guys at tight end who have a good shot to make this team, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later with Christian um, because I wanted to discuss <clears throat> some of the tight ends with him. And the uh, I want to say Herndon kind of shined last week after he had his DUI. We heard that he was uh, turning in some really good uh, some really good efforts, and a bit more of that today from <clears throat> from his main competition in Jordan Leggett. So a strong practice for him and quite quite a few mentions for Sam Donald from a few different writers. And uh even Manish Mehta uh mentioned him again. He you know, he said that Donald was doing a lot of things well. You know, he said he saw some t- nice touch on a few passes, uh dialed it up a notch on the uh the velocity and, and zipped a few in there when he had to be or when he had to and uh that's you know, let's face it, you know, whatever you want to say about Manish Mehta, he doesn't uh he doesn't hand out the compliments too uh too easily. So it's it's uh you know, it's nice to see that you're getting a little bit of praise from a guy who's usually about as hard as anybody on this team. And, you know, it doesn't win him the uh doesn't win him a lot of fans among Jets fans, but you know, he he'll often call it like he sees it, whether you agree or not. And he's uh 
he's had a lot of praise for the way Sam Donald has looked. <clears throat> so you have to like that. There was a mention by uh, Connor Hughes of uh, talking about uh, Teddy Bridgewater looking really good on a comeback route to Chad Hansen, where he was able to beat Tremaine Johnson, which is you know that's that's uh, pretty impressive because Tremaine Johnson, top you know arguably the top cornerback in free agency, who plays you know plays some pretty damn good man coverage, and Hansen was able to make a grab on him. And, and listen, I'm not you know I'm not saying anybody should be jumping up and down doing backflips over a few plays in training camp, but but some people I think can be um, a little too negative with it in saying or implying that it doesn't mean anything. And, you know, the example I always give is I remember as a young kid, you know, young high school kid back when I was still in New York and reading on a daily basis many, many years ago about a young undrafted wide receiver named Wayne Corbett who was catching everything that came his way and impressing coaches. And I had a couple friends at the time who were kind of the same thing. Oh, uh, this guy's a nobody. These these things don't mean anything. You can't you can't pay attention to training camp. You can't don't read about these these don't no one cares about this stuff. Who cares if he's getting open? He's he's the thirteenth receiver and he's getting open against the the eleventh cornerback. You're not going to know who these guys are in a couple weeks. And you know more times than not that's true, but not always. Sometimes sometimes you see guys come on in camp and do things do things well. And uh, and impress coaches and impress onlookers, and sometimes it carries through to the season, and sometimes it carries through for a career, as was the case with Corbett, couple Robbie Anderson a couple years ago, myself and many other people were were praising him, but at the same time, who else was getting a ton of who was getting more praise back then? Let's let's be fair, Jalen Marshall, yeah, he fizzled out, he never he never worked out, but he was a guy that got tons and tons of credit. So he fizzled out, but Robbie was also getting a lot of love, and he turned out to be a pretty damn good player. So don't listen to any, you know, I understand that it's none of this stuff is, makes anybody a lock to do anything. But when you hear people saying that, you know, none of this stuff means anything because it's, you know, it's they're not wearing pads and it's only OTAs and it's only minicamp and blah, blah, blah. But sometimes these things pan out. That's why it's fun to keep up so you're not shocked. You know, it's it's if you if you like the team enough, you keep up with the day to day what's going on. When the season rolls around, you're not the guy saying, you know, who the hell is Robbie Anderson? When the season opens and you're looking at the roster, who's this guy? Why have I never heard of him? Oh, because you're not paying attention to the team. And there's nothing wrong with being a casual fan or a part time fan, but you know the reason why Jet Nation exists, the reason why this podcast exists, is because we have some absolutely rabid fans who love this team and who want to keep up with them as you know as much as possible so just a couple other notes or another a couple other plays from camp today and Eric Tomlinson makes another makes it makes a nice catch um from Donald in the red zone and Eric Tomlinson again and we will as I've already said we'll touch on the tight ends he's a guy that I really like because Tomlinson's a guy, he's, you know, he's not a dynamic guy. But when you get the ball near him, he catches it. And he's clearly the best blocker on the roster. So um, with that in mind, let's actually go to our good friend, Christian Dyer of Metro. As I mentioned earlier, Christian covers the Jets and Giants for Metro, covers a little bit of Red Bulls. And uh, Christian, how are you doing today? Good. Hey, I want to let you guys know how much I appreciate you at, uh, at Jet Nation. My wife, a few minutes ago, came home from work. I don't actually work. I'm a sports writer. So my wife came home from her real job with pizza from a brand-new place in town. I haven't even taken a bite because I wanted to focus on prepping for you guys. So I just want to let you know I'm giving a pizza right now from a brand-new place I've never had it from before, which is like tantamount to religion for me. I'll tell you what, that is, that is some high praise. There are not many things in life that, uh, that are as, as difficult to pass up as pizza, and uh, you doing that for us, Christian, it is greatly appreciated, and I hope it's fantastic. I hope when you have it, I, it I is at too, the, but perfect, the perfect temperature and makes it even that much more enjoyable for you. 
Well, let, let's give a shout out to a great pizza place, though, in Florham Park when Jets fans are going out there, um, training camp in a couple months' time. Nona's Pizzeria in Florham Park, the best grandma slice and margarita slice I've ever had in my life. I will stake my reputation to it uh, as if I have much left. But uh, I would stake my reputation to it when Jets fans are in the area, they're coming out from the city, they need somewhere to go quick and easy. That is the place to be. Known as Pizzeria, it's about five minutes away. Best margarita and grandma slice you will ever have. Well, I will, I will have to check them out when I'm in Florham Park. And, uh, and while we're giving shout-outs to pizza places, I know I've mentioned DeFontaine's previously in Dublin, New York-style pizza. I was in Dublin again this past weekend. Absolutely the only place I've eaten outside of the, the U.S. that has legit New York-style pizza. The owner worked a few years out in, uh, out in New York City, learned to do it the right way, went back to Dublin, opened it up. So there is your pizza talk for the day. The Fontaine's in Dublin. I know we have a lot of listeners in Ireland. I've mentioned it before. Check it out right at the end of uh, Temple Bar, right on the Liffey. So, Christian, moving on to some football talk here. Um, I've mentioned a couple times throughout the show. I'm just just kind of recapping what what, we're, what I'm finding on the uh, the Twitter sphere in regards to what what folks are seeing from the Jets today in camp. And uh, was just just stumbled upon a note about a what, what was uh, apparently a nice catch from Eric Tomlinson in the red zone from Sam Darnold. Um, and I know I, we've talked before about this tight end group, and uh, you know you have Herndon, you have Leggett. Um, you know, a few new bodies were brought in. Of course, Tomlinson is still in place. You have Neil Sterling coming back after uh, being relatively – or being really quiet last year up until week 17 when he got some run. And, of course, Clive Walford, who was brought in from uh, after being let go by the Oakland Raiders. And w- w- what are your thoughts on this group? Who do you like? Who don't you like? Who- who's a guy who can surprise yeah, and I love talking about this. And listen, we talked last week about uh, how, how a tight end, this is a tight end friendly offense, but they relatively simple offense uh, for a tight end. You don't necessarily need the Gronkowski or who the Jets had last year in Austin Safarian Jenkins. You need someone who's a reliable blocker and who can get relatively open and get a little bit of separation, whether it's from safety or linebackers down the field. And, and to me, someone I don't think we're talking enough about, and we know it's going to be difficult for him to make the team. I think he's an under rated blocker but he's not necessarily there as a blocker with some of the other guys who might be ahead of him but Neil Sterling we we look at that week 17 game and and what he was able to do and I know the Patriots were resting a bunch of players but looking at the fact that he got five catches 74 yards uh, but he's also got the length he's able to get some separation I've had the opportunity over the past two months to actually see Neil Sterling working out. He works out at a facility uh, nearby Test Sports Club, uh, Test Football Academy. A number of of current and former NFL players work out there. Bart Scott was a regular there during his playing days. He's put on some size. He's put on just, he's added just a little bit of speed as well, which I think is important when it's length and now the ability to perhaps get separation. Uh, You know, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to make the Jets just given the young depth that they have at linebacker and the need for a third linebacker on that roster who can, who can perhaps be a little bit better in situational blocking. But I think Neil Sterling is going to be a dark horse to make this roster or another roster really like what he's been able to do. Um, you know, he's, he's not a burner necessarily, but he's got that good size. He's got a good frame. And I think with a legitimate quarterback throwing him the ball, uh, which wasn't the case week 17 last year, but there's a good chance that he could become a red zone threat for this team. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of you who don't know, he is a converted receiver, uh, moved to tight end. He was spent some time with Jacksonville, didn't get a lot of run there. And last time with the Jets last season, they actually waived him for a little bit. He was only gone for a couple of weeks, but they liked something about him because they brought him back. Um, as as you mentioned, and as I said, uh, you know the, the blocker on the roster is Tomlinson. I don't think it's something you'll see a lot of from Sterling. I, I honestly, I wish he'd gotten more reps because earlier this off season, I was watching as much as I could of him on the All 22, but he just he didn't he didn't play consistently enough to get a real good feel for what he could do. Um, but I think I think you're right. I think you know. His his yards per catch in his one game where he really got an opportunity, I mean he, he looked far better than uh, than than Austin Safarian Jenkins and I talked about that several times during the year last season that as nice of a story as Austin Safarian Jenkins was early in the year when he was playing well, 
you never saw the Jets do anything down the field with him. And I no. wondered if it was if it was the play calling or the player. Well, the way they handled Sterling in his one one game where he saw significant reps tells me maybe it was just ASJ. Maybe they just didn't think he could get down the field quick enough to make plays. So time will tell, and I do agree I, I like him. Um, I think there's some players on this roster that obviously you know, there's going to be a squeeze in some places. They, and I, I said before you came on, a lot of young receivers on this roster and four more receivers as camp invites. So the Jets are turning over every stone to find some targets for their uh, for whoever their quarterback will be this season, and then of course for Darnold moving forward. But uh, speaking of receivers, um, something I, I discussed earlier, one of my favorite notes of the day, and for many Jets fans, I'm sure, uh, Quincy Inunua, in his helmet today, you know, sheds the uh, the baseball cap that he'd been wearing through OTAs, and talk a little bit about Quincy Inunua. And, what he could mean if he's back at a, if he if he's a full go for this offense. Yeah, it was exciting to see two years ago what a new love brings, and you know, a lot of people talk about his size. He's he's not that six four, six five kind of wide receiver, but he he's got a good build. He's kind of thickly built. Um, in some ways, when you're watching him out there running routes, the way he goes up there and, and gets the ball reminds me a little bit of um, Keyshawn Johnson. And I'm not saying that he's got that necessarily high end ability. But Keyshawn you know Johnson what? was so good at I have to cut you yes. off there, Christian. That the second you said the way who he reminds me of going up and getting the ball, I thought to myself, he's going to say Keyshawn. Because I hadn't had that thought, but as soon as you said it, my head went right to Keyshawn Johnson because that to me was what he did better than any, that was the number one thing of his in his game. Well, ladies Keyshawn and gentlemen, and we haven't rehearsed this. We have not rehearsed this. Not one bit, but – I say it all the time when Keyshawn's name comes up because a lot of people didn't like his antics and his attitude, myself included. But I would always say, man, if, if Keyshawn had four defenders around him, you'd see him sometimes come down with the ball. He could do that so well. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just thought that was funny. The second you said goes up and gets it, I thought Keyshawn Johnson. Well, and, and it's true. When you watch a new one, I remember watching him as a rookie and just saying, you know, what, what is this guy? We really didn't know a whole lot about him. He was kind of under the radar when he came in, uh, certainly with the Jets, and just watching and seeing him pinpoint the ball, rising, not giving away, not getting the hands up too fast, but but his ability to hold himself in the air, uh, almost gliding. Like, I mean, to be able to add that now to, to I think, a, a receiving core that's going to be a little bit underrated here. We talk a lot about Robbie Anderson, of course, but adding what uh, Quincy Anun was going to be able to do for this offense in terms of his length, in terms of his stretch, in terms of the ability to provide that catching radius. You you talked a few moments ago, Glenn, about um, how the ability – to, to, to go down there and to be able to stretch things. And Austin Safarian Jenkins didn't do that necessarily. Quincy Nunwa brings that ability. He can go over the middle, but he's very underrated as a deep threat. And now I think finally the, the Jets have some quarterbacks in that room, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater, who, who at a flick of a wrist can, can throw the ball 50, 55 yards. Uh, Josh McCown, who I think healthy and back in with a decent offensive line, can certainly do that. And then certainly Sam Darnold, who, who, who we're all talking about, you know, the 45-yard catch, uh, pass and catch that he had uh, today. There's some arms that are going to be able to go out there and stretch the field. And when, when you're looking at what uh, Anunwa was able to do two years ago, 58 catches, 850 yards, four touchdowns, and that was with an offense that I don't think uh, necessarily the line was where it, it was going to be at in terms of giving protection to the quarterback. Uh, keep in mind that that was a rough year for the Jets two years ago, that final year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. To me, there's a lot of upside here, and I'm not saying that he's going to automatically become a 1,000-yard receiver, but being able to throw a new one, the ability to stretch the field, and like we said, to, to, to be a deep downfield target, the fact that he's healthy and everything's churning and that uh, he should be full go by training camp, that to me is a huge development for the Jets, and the fact that they might actually have a semblance of a running game this year uh, combined with a new one is going to set up the play action as well, which is going to help a lot of other factors for this team. And that's, you know, that's one thing about Anunwa. You mentioned him being able to stretch the field. I've had this discussion with so many people, and I don't know what it is. I, it seems like a lot, of, a, lot of pe- a lot of folks, for some reason, overlook the fact that this is a guy that ran a 4-4-5 and has often played to that speed. I always hear people say, yeah, he's a good physical guy. He could be a tight end, which I, I always feel like he's also 
I want him lined up inside. I want him outside. I, I want him stretching the field. You know, he's a guy. You, you know, you say he's not. He's not a lock to be a thousand yard guy, which I agree with because of the fact that this this offense is going to have so many options. But I I think he's got the skill set to be that. You as you said, eight hundred plus yards with in a season when Brandon Marshall couldn't catch anything and Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing quarterback. I mean, there there are certain things guys do where you can say, you know, if you put that guy in a even slightly better um, NFL offense, there's no reason he couldn't be a thousand yard guy. That's how I view Quincy Nunwa. And all the tools are there. I agree. Yeah, I've had so many people say to me, like, "Oh, yeah, you know, he's a physical." I, I think because he's physical, people don't realize how fast he is. But uh, he ran a four-four-five at Indy, and uh, I, the play I always point to is the uh, the big catch and run against the Patriots, Week Seventeen, a few years ago. I mean, you see him really. He had that big catch and run against the Browns a couple of years ago. He can he can motor. Quincy Anunwa can run, but. Um, Speaking of, uh, you mentioned uh, Sam Darnold flicking the ball down the field. Um, talk about him a little bit because, as we saw today and as we've seen throughout OTAs, he's uh, the Jets. The Jets are being true to their word, and, and in this case, I don't think there was any reason to suspect they wouldn't. But they really are giving him every chance, and he's seeing regular reps with the ones. And according to the folks who are out there, he's playing pretty darn well um, with, with the with the first team. So. It's nice to see, and you can't – I mean, will it happen? I don't know, but you can't help but wonder, can this guy win this job? Well, listen, I think the Jets are going to be prudent with all of this and realize that uh, maybe the mistakes of the last two quarterbacks that they kind of rushed along a little bit too much. And I, I'm not including Christian Hackenberg because when you know, you're not playing in preseason, I don't care where you're drafted, you're not really factoring in. But the last two guys who the Jets took who were supposed to be franchise quarterbacks and Geno Smith and then before that in 2010 with Mark Sanchez, they were perhaps rushed along a little bit too much. And I, I can't help but wonder where Sanchez his development could have been if maybe he had sat behind Kellen Clemens for four weeks. I, I, I know we will make the argument maybe the Jets don't make the playoffs then, but the Jets were a pretty average team those first couple of weeks uh, out the gate uh, with Mark Sanchez, w- winning in Houston, and uh, but then kind of fell apart at that middle point uh, of, of September and October for a couple of weeks. Could there have been an advantage there for Sanchez? And I, I think right now if you're Mike McCagney and you're Todd Bowles, you got to be a little trigger shy about all of this and wondering, we can't go down this path again. We need to make sure that this guy, Stan Darnold, has the opportunity to sit, to develop, to not be rushed along, and to feel like even if he is the best quarterback in the room and certainly has the highest ceiling, uh, that he's earned it, that we've taken the time, and that we haven't put too much pressure on him to be the week one starter. Now, you know, I think an, uh, the ultimate benefit would be if the Jets start off and are doing reasonably well, if Darnold's able to sit there for you know, six weeks, eight weeks, lower the expectation, but give him more time in the playbook. So if and when he does eventually see the field, that uh, he, he's got a mastery of this thing. And uh, we know he's got the physical tools. He's got the size. He's got the arm. Uh, he's got the pedigree coming up, but it's going to be a matter of not just the speed of play in the NFL and the ball placement, and, and that's something that's always been a little bit of a struggle for him, but as it is with most young quarterbacks, putting the ball in a spot where the receivers can not only make a play, but get yards after the catch. Geno Smith suffered with that. Uh, Mark Sanchez had his own struggles with it, oftentimes throwing behind or below a player, uh, which would limit big plays. Sam Darnold got some work he has to do, and we love talking about 45-yard bombs to Quincy Amunla and, and, and hooking up with Robbie Anderson for 20-yard plays today. But beyond that, you really have to look and, and begin to understand that Sam Darnold has a learning curve here, and I think throwing him in too quickly is setting him up to maybe not just only have unreasonable expectations he's done him, but maybe setting up long-term for his development to stall. I think it would be good for him to sit, to wait, uh, it doesn't mean you have to throw away the season, but if you're talking November, December, that the Jets are a 500 team, why not throw him in at that point? He might be actually in mm-hmm. a position at that juncture just to be able to develop and to be able to get some snaps and some reps that would be meaningful to him. Yeah, and that, you know, and I think if I'm not mistaken, you uh, or I, I remember you mentioned that uh, one thing you just talked about that you mentioned a couple weeks ago, and I meant to follow it up and I didn't because. Uh, you know, the ADD does it to you. But um, the point you make, because I've 
it's, it's another conversation I've sort of had because you see other quarterbacks do it, and it's infuriating as a Jets fan because even when they've been pretty good, is as you said, the, the frequency with which we see receivers having to stop and catch the ball versus catching it in stride and making a play. And to me, and I, I, I hate praising the guy, but you've got to just be honest, when you watch Tom Brady and you see the number of times you, he makes a throw and just absolutely puts it on the money with his guy not having to break stride, that what that does for an offense to be able to be moving in the right direction with a full head of steam when you catch the ball versus having to stop or turn or adjust, you're taking several yards off of every play. And if Darnold can master that, because you saw him do it well in college, and if he can get that down and, and make it a part of his game and, you know, sort of as he progresses to the next level, it's just it's such an underrated trait, and you don't hear it talked about enough. And I know it drives me crazy because – having to see it done against the Jets twice a year with Brady, and they, their quarterbacks don't seem to do it well enough. And that actually brings me to my last question. This is something, uh, I've, and, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, it's nothing, it's nothing crazy out of left field, but uh, we hadn't discussed it earlier. Um, the hiring of Jeremy Bates, okay, so there's a lot of fans seem just drinking the Kool-Aid, but a lot of people seem to be really high on that hiring, despite the fact that, this is a guy that was out of the league for a few years after only he only truly had one year where he had the, the, the title of offensive coordinator. And I know Shanahan said he chipped in and called some plays in Denver, but he was truly the offensive coordinator in Seattle. Pete Carroll fired him after one year when they were one of the worst offenses in the NFL. Marshawn Lynch had one of the worst seasons of his career. Matt Hasselbeck, who's nothing great, but was a quality quarterback, had one of the worst years of his career. I mean, there's nothing he's done as an NFL coordinator that would make you say, this is the guy that I want bringing along my young quarterback. Where, where do you stand on the Bates high? And I'm not ripping it. I'm just asking the question because why are so many people I, – I hear people praise it as if, as if they've, they've gotten this proven, established offensive genius when really they've got a guy who's got one year as a bad coordinator under his belt. Well, you, you always look at that and you wonder what the personnel is. And you talk about Marshawn uh, having perhaps the, the worst year of his NFL career and how much that factors in and, and other things. And, and really how much play calling does an offensive coordinator have? And, you know, I know that isn't uh, – it, it's, it's always an issue, I think, when we try to look and understand some of the internals and, and things that are going on with the coaching staff and how much control does a, a head coach relinquish uh, to, to his coordinators. But, you know, it is a little bit of a, of a troublesome hire. I think that the most important thing for the Jets is they need continuity. I mean, how many offensive coordinators have they had the past nine years, 10 years, is it seven, eight? It's, you know, it's, they're averaging one a year. And, I, and that to me is, is going to be maybe the biggest issue is that Bates is going to be somebody who could put together two, three years here with the Jets, not be a constant turnover. He is a steady presence. Uh, he has worked with some pretty good quarterbacks during the years. He has worked for some pretty prolific teams. It's not a hire necessarily where you're excited, where you say this is the guy who you know, has consistently put up 35 points everywhere he's gone. And he's, a, he's considered an offensive mastermind. And, you know, he's a guru in this, that, and everything else. But he, he's, a, he's a solid hire. Um, is he exciting? No. D does he have a great track record as an OC? No. But I think right now you're seeing that at least there seems to be some continuity in terms of bringing things over from the playbook from the past couple of years. It's not a there are elements that have been, that are being brought in from the, from the West coast offense that the jets have been running for the better part of the past four or five years. Uh, there, there's a mindset, there's a steadying presence. It's not a guy who, who is necessarily uh, going to go through a ton of upheaval or, uh, you know, be, be a wackadoo like a couple of the offensive coordinators that were here. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying Tony Sperano, but uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think, I think right. there's a mentality and a mindset there that maybe didn't necessarily fit in. So, you know, if, if I'm the Jets and, and I'm a Jets fan, I, I'm a little optimistic about it. I do think that there is a good resume there that shows a decent level of work that's been done around the league and recently with some of the teams he's been with. But um, yeah, it's, it's not a sexy hire. It's not an exciting hire. There, there could have been maybe a couple other names out there that I think 
could have worked out well. Um, you know, I kind of thought that maybe a John McNulty type or somebody like that could have been really interesting. He, he's actually ironically now with uh, Rutgers as their offensive coordinator, but he, he had a good background in the league. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think there's cautious, there's reason for caution, optimistic, or to be cautiously optimistic, but it, it certainly isn't a name where you say there's a long track record in history uh, of him being the man. You're hoping that he's going to step up and be that man. Yeah, and and that that's kind of where I am. I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic, but when you know, I've I've seen a lot of fans just sort of speak about him as if we've got a guy who has been a great coordinator and I I look at a guy who was out of the NFL for 4 years or 3 years, however long it was, before Todd Bowles brought him back. So, I'm thinking if he's that much of an offensive genius, you know, and, and again, I'm not knocking it. I just I'm surprised to see and maybe it's because everyone's ramped up with Darnold as they should be. I don't know if that's the reason, but people are like, yeah, we have Bates. We got Jeremy Bates. He's going to call the plays. We got Bates. And I'm going, well, that's great, but has he done enough to be thrilled? I mean, optimism is fine, but I, I just, I'm a little surprised at how uh, to see the number of people that, are, that have bought in uh, completely on Bates. Glenn, we're in June, we're in shorts, there's reason for optimism, there have been good signs so far, that things I think are further along than they were four or five years ago during, during those couple of years with Geno stretches the starting quarterback, so I think there's reason for optimism, but yeah, he does face an uphill battle in terms of the pedigree or lack thereof that he brings from his past couple NFL stops. Absolutely, so Christian, going to let you go have your pizza. I hope it is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to having you on again next week. Thank you so much again. As usual, Christian Dyer of Metro covers the Jets, Giants, and Red Bulls. Thank you so much, Christian. All right, so that's it for, uh, for Christian Dyer this evening. And just a couple of other notes to pass along um, before we sign off for the evening. First off, uh, Forgot to mention this at the top of the show, so for those of you that are still with us, um, check out our sponsor, our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social, social media, they help you run your social media websites and SEOs. Check them out at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L, milesocial.com. Basically, if you're running your own business, you're wearing a bunch of hats at the same time, and you're, whether your Facebook page or your own, you know, your company website, taking you a little too much time and you want to commit resources elsewhere, that's where Mile Social comes in. They come in and handle all that stuff. They'll run your analytics. They'll tell you how to improve your website, how to drive more followers, more traffic to your website, add customers, and everybody wins. So check them out. Uh, if you know someone who runs a small business, send them their way. Check out Mile Social. So with that out of the way, uh, just some, just a, a tweet that I, I stumbled upon here from a uh, from Andy Vasquez, I want to make sure we're giving folks credit. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I know what happens. I guess it's – I don't know what it is, but I see I see and hear folks quoting and, 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 and referencing a lot of information that we all know they're not there firsthand to see, but you don't hear credit being given very often for folks that are there reporting it. So uh, NorthJersey.com, Andy Vasquez, uh, one of the only folks I saw who tweeted this out. So, uh, you know, uh, let's see here. Andy Vasquez tweeted out the the numbers from practice today in terms of uh, who had how many reps and how they did. Of course, the you know, not getting too caught up in the stats, but uh, Sam Darnold had 38 reps. So Sam Darnold out-repped everybody. 38 reps for Darnold, 26 for Bridgewater, 25 for McCown. All of McCown's reps came with the first team O-line. 12 of Donald's came with the first-team O-line, and three of Bridgewater's came with the first-team O-line. So the first-team the first team reps went 25 McCown, 12 Donald, three Bridgewater. On the day, McCown was 9 for 12, Bridgewater 6 for 11, and Donald 14 for 23. So some good stuff in there, and uh, all just a lot of encouraging stuff from the Jets, from, from training camp. And as I said earlier, you know, they're not in pads, they're not hitting. Um, helmets and 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 uh, a lot of uh, you know, if any contact, it's not going to be more than a bump. So you know you're not going to hear about any hitting. Guys aren't going to get tested. 
And, you know, as we said earlier, the next big test for Teddy Bridgewater is going to be his knee. But um, a lot of good stuff going on, folks. We keep saying it. A lot to be excited about. That wraps things up for us this evening. Uh, We do have a guest joining us next week. Uh, We'll confirm it. But as of right now, we are scheduled to have uh, one of my favorite guests, a guy I've had the opportunity to interview a couple times, um, Chad Cascadden, former Jets linebacker, covers the Jets at SNY, and uh, this guy who played for uh, played for Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, so uh, knows a thing or two about you know about being in the league, and uh, and it'll be a nice nice time talking to him. And we look forward to that. We look forward to you tuning in. And we thank you guys again for tuning in and joining us for another episode of Jet Nation Radio. Have a great night, guys.